The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ron Schmelzer. And wow, we hope you've really been enjoying. We hear from many of you guys about our AI Today podcast. We have so many different series we're in the midst of. So we're glad that many of you like our AI glossary series, where we've been going over the most important terms you should know with AI. We're kind of getting towards the end of that. So some of you may have gotten a little tired of the glossary series. Some of you enjoy it. So we're just continuing it out. We're going to let it go until we're done with all the big ideas. And then um, many of you are enjoying also our trustworthy AI series as we talk about some of the big problems <laughs> that AI are getting people into and then getting themselves into and some of the potential challenges. And we go through the various different layers of trustworthy AI. We're well on our way in that one as well. And we're in the midst of our generative AI series where we're talking about the the thing that's making all the news, which is using ads, generate text and images and all this sort of stuff. Oh, and in addition to that, we've been sprinkling through some interviews with uh, some CPMI certified folks and some others. So keeping it varied, but, but we got a lot of stuff we're rolling on. There's, there, we're not going to be running out of content anytime soon, right, Kathleen? Exactly. You know, when Ron and I started this podcast all the way back in 2017, we said, all right, will we ever run out of things to talk about? Because this is AI today. And the answer is no, we have not. And we are now, you know, well into our seventh season. We still haven't run out of things to say. Of course, we could not be AI today if we do not talk about generative AI. And that's why we thought it was important to have a series so we could talk about it, uh, you know, and really dig deep into different areas. But of course, we always take our spin on it. So we don't want to just talk about generative AI. We really want to help you understand how you can put generative AI into practice for you at your organization. So on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about diffusion models and image generation, especially as it relates to generative AI in our series. This is an excerpt from our CPMAI training, which is the Cognitive Project Management for AI training. It's a best practices methodology and certification on how to run AI projects. We have a brand new version seven that is now out that includes many areas and aspects that you know it's been enhanced. We talk about generative AI. Again, how to apply that at your organization uh, you know, for AI project success. So again, today's podcast, we're going to have a little excerpt of our new training and certification. It's going to be on diffusion models and image generation. So we talked about how we can generate text from large language models and do some pretty remarkable things with creating a lot of different texts from basically prompts for based on, for models that have been trained on a large amount of text data. But what about generating images? Well, turns out, well, we've had approaches before in the past, and we've tried to do generative AI, where we try to generate images using things called generative adversarial networks, GANs, which are a pair of networks that try to, one creates some sort of uh, alternate image and, and another network tries to determine whether or not that image is a real one. But it turns out we have a, another approach that seems to work well better for a, a larger range of image types. And that approach is called the diffusion model. 
And what's interesting is that image generation, it's, it's an aspect of generative AI, but image generation doesn't really use large language models. Well, that's because the inputs for image generation, well, yeah, we prompt, we tell the image system what we want to generate, but the outputs aren't text generation, and it, they're not based on training a large language model. So if we want to generate some new image or do some sort of image generation task, we can do an approach which was actually inspired by thermodynamics of all things, where we start with some known image training data and we increasingly add amounts of noise, static, what's no, known as random or Gaussian noise. And after each iteration of adding some noise, we try to train the system how to go from the noise back to the image. So eventually, after lots of training, the system learns enough where it can start with just random noise, and you can suggest what the noise should be, and the network figures out how to generate an image from that noise. It's actually pretty clever if you think about it. Uh, where you could just you know start with a bunch of images, lots of lots and lots and lots of images. That's how all neural network systems work. And all you do is just add incremental amounts of noise uh, to each of those images. Then you sort of train how to go backwards from each of those little steps of noise. And eventually you get to basically pure noise, static. But it's learned so many different ways of going from static to all these different images that all you have to do is type some sort of prompt and it can generate basically what you're thinking about by reinterpreting that noise as the various different images or combinations or a unique aspect of images based on what it's learned. That's basically the core of the theory of what's called diffusion models, where we gradually add Gaussian noise and then just basically reverse. Very clever idea. So like large language models, diffusion models need prompts. That's how you tell the system how to go from that noise to generate the image. And so they all start with the same sort of thing that even large language models start with, which is basically text encoding, where you try to get a prompt. And you can even use things like attention to make sure that we focus on the right aspects. And then we have some embedding that tells us what the meaning is of what we want. But then all I got to do is go back. I have all these embeddings based on what we have learned from our train our image training data. And all I got to do is try to find the right embeddings so that I could take this random noise that's static that I have and generate what the word embedding is telling us to generate. So diffusion and models also start with text encoders that use word embedding. And the training data that are images encodes the semantic meaning, the meaning of the image based on, we don't only just get the image from our original source of images, but we also get the captions and the uh, context in which that image is, which implies what the image means. And then we encode those meanings using uh, sort of approaches called variational autoencoders that also use this attention mechanism. So as a result, we can use prompts to generate images with a wide range of capabilities. We could start with just new image generation where I provide a prompt and I say, you know, generate an image of a corgi playing a flamethrowing trumpet, uh, which is one online source or whatever it is your idea is. And it'll try to generate that uh, based on, you know, that meaning, the, the embedding and try to generate that out of the noise, right? But we can even do things like image to image transformation, where I could take an existing image that I've, that I've, you know, from my existing source, and I could say, transform this image using this prompt. So I can generate a new image from an image that I have. 
by adding and what it would do is it just adds noise to the image that you have and then it tries to reverse that back to what the images that you want you can even do things like infilling and inpainting where you can take an image and you can say only generate for part of this image so you can have it sort of generate additional things within your image or you can do things like style transfer take an image and then re-represent it in a new style such as a painting or photorealistic or whatever the learned style is you know some futuristic style or something like that and you can do things called super resolution where i can take an image that's perhaps small or grainy and i can sort of zoom into it or i can enlarge it or i can do what's called out painting where i could take uh, aspects of the image that don't exist and i can create new parts of the image that are completely new and generated that don't exist but look realistic because they are combined with the existing image so these are all the things that we can do so it's still a lot of capabilities for image generation when i just have prompts and i just use this idea of gaussian noise where i try to reverse the noise back into the image that is what the prompt suggests. So there's many examples of diffusion models that are out there. And the most popular ones uh, as of now are the OpenAI's DALI and DALI 2, which were sort of first on the market. DALI was released in January of 2021 and DALI 2 of July of 2022. And the latest version, DALI 2, uses a diffusion model uh, conditioned with something called CLIP, which is a way of doing matched pairs with images and text. That's how you sort of determine what the meaning is of the image. And they used about 400 million pairs of images with text data uh, scraped from the internet, they said. So DALI 2 has about 3.5 billion parameters. And you can access it the way that you open access uh, access OpenAI's Dolly and Dolly 2, actually Dolly 2, is through their API. You make an API call, uh, you have an account with, with OpenAI, and then it retrieves the image based on your API call. If you're curious about the name Dolly, it's a combination of the Pixar character Wally and the artist Salvador Dolly. So maybe that's obvious to you, maybe that wasn't, but it's kind of clever. Another really popular uh, generative AI image generator is Midjourney, which was released in July of 2022. Now, the interesting thing about this is that we actually have very little information about the exact methods and data sets that were used to create the Midjourney models. Midjourney creates very artistic and photorealistic outputs, which suggests sort of what the source of these images are. A lot of people say it's like artist sites and photo sites and things like that, in addition to uh, generally available internet data. But many folks basically assume that Midjourney uses a clip as well, which is a, a way of representing uh, images and their captions, and a diffusion models for generative modeling using, as they say, a big scrape of internet data. So it's a, the way that you access Midjourney currently is actually through Discord bots. You basically chat with Midjourney on their own server using special commands with the bots, and it will generate multiple versions of an image. And then you can do things like upscale and do the additional image uh, modifications that you'd like to do. A third popular diffusion model is Stable Diffusion, which was released in August of 2022. And it was developed by researchers at the Kopviz Group at the Ludwig Maximilian University, LMU Munich, and Runway. And the data was provided by nonprofits and computing donated by Stability AI. 
And all of the training data, the code, and the weights have been publicly released, as have the sources of their training data. Has about 1 billion parameters and uses a latent diffusion model, which is a type of diffusion model. So whereas MidJourney basically tells you almost nothing about the sources of their data and the methods by which they built their model, Stable Diffusion, on the other hand, tells you almost everything about how the model was uh, developed and the sources of their data. And you could take a look at that them yourself and the code and the weights have been released. So you can make a decision as to what you want to use based on the quality and types of the outputs and the nature and the openness of the platform, as well as Dolly Dolly 2, uh, if you'd like to use uh, OpenAI's system as well. And there are m other models that are continuously out there. People, This is an area of constant evolution. This is a hot area. People are really interested in all forms of generative AI. Uh, Crayon is another open source model that's available on the Hugging Face platform. And I think we can expect to see continued evolution over time here. So first, uh, how do diffusion models differ from large language models and transformer models? I think it's pretty clear here, but it's worth stating because sometimes people lump these all together and they're not the same. Large language models work on natural language data, while, of course, diffusion models work on image data. And large language models that often use the transformer approach, which transforms a small amount of text into a large amount of text, generates high-quality text input from input text prompts. While diffusion models, which aren't trying to generate large amounts of output text, don't use transformer models. Obviously, they use diffusion models, and they only generate image outputs given a prompt. So you can only get an image output from a diffusion model. Large language models use large amounts of text data, petabytes and petabytes of information to learn all the different natural language patterns, of which there are a ton, and every language has them. And diffusion models learn from large amounts of image data to learn the different image data patterns and the pairs of images and their captions. So it knows uh, how to, uh, to do the word embedding and figure out what it is that you like to generate. And also it learns the styles and how to make things look visually like what you want. So large language models can perform a very wide range of natural language tasks without requiring any additional very little fine-tuning or task-specific training. So they even have to retrain these models. A lot of times you can accomplish what you want through prompt engineering. As, so as mentioned, we can use large language models for question answering, summarization, translation, all sorts of applications. Diffusion models can only perform image generation tasks. We can't really ask these diffusion models to do other tasks that don't involve image generation. Uh, large language models can handle very complicated linguistic syntax, complicated instructions, multiple steps, you know, iterative uh, you know, conversation styles where one part of the conversation can refer to another as part of that whole context window idea. Uh, and but diffusion models really don't do that. They don't have context windows in that perspective. You really have to provide what you want in that prompt, and those prompts are generally not very long. And they really are more focused on trying to instruct the system how to generate the style that you want, lighting, texture, image style, references to things that you might think may have been in the training data that can provide instructions and also aspects of the various different uh, outfill and grow and in painting and super resolution and, and all those things you want to do. Last bit is that, as mentioned at the beginning, there have been other approaches to diffusion, uh, sorry, other approaches to image generation, generative AI, 
Uh, and those uh, alternatives to diffusion models have been GANs, the Generative Adversarial Networks. And GANs, the way that they work is we have, as mentioned, a pair of different kinds of networks. We have one network that uh, generates a new potential image based on the input data and a discriminator that basically attempts to distinguish between real and fake data samples. It kind of votes as to whether it believes the image is real. And so the generator and the discriminator are trained in what's called an adversarial manner. They're trained against each other, competing each other to improve their performance. And once we've sort of get the, pro the performance that we want, we basically say the scan is done. It's a very different approach than diffusion models, which are all about reversing noise primarily. And also GANs are limited to the particular thing that they were trained to do, the discriminator, like what exactly it was trying to determine was real or fake, you know, such as faces or buildings or cats or wh whatever it is they're trying to generate. Generally, the GAN is focused just on that image generation task. So it doesn't have the same breadth of image generation capability that, say, a diffusion model can have, because diffusion models can handle a much wider range of image generation tasks. That being said, because of the way that the discriminator is trained in the adversarial network, GANs can generate image outputs with much higher quality resolution and quality in general. And that makes many of the sort of more obvious mistakes of diffusion models, like such as faces and fingers, they aren't as much of a problem with GANs. I mean, all these, nothing's perfect. AI systems are probabilistic. But if you go to thispersondoesnotexist.com, which is basically a high quality GAN for generating faces, you'll see the quality of those examples versus the kinds of faces you'd be able to generate with the diffusion model, which generally tries to reverse the noise and try to create something similar to the training data, but will have sometimes very obvious uh, facial or other uh, faults within the image. So we are able to do some pretty incredible things with generative AI, including generating images. But unlike text generators, AI art generators tend to require more attention to detail and more attempts before you're able to get exactly what it is that you're looking for. So to get the best chance of results that you're looking for, there's different techniques that you can do and different prompts that you can use to make sure that you are giving the uh, generator as much information as possible. So you want to state the subject or content of the image, and you want to be as descriptive as possible. So you can go really deep here, including uh, sharing what type of image you'd like, if that's a drawing, a photo, a charcoal drawing, for example, uh, what type of action state or mood of the image. Also the art form, do you want it to be watercolor, a photograph, an oil painting? And if so, you know, you can even get really um, detailed about the type of camera that would have been used to take the photograph. And then additional settings such as lighting, what kind of lighting do you want? What kind of color schemes do you want? Framing, do you want it close up, a wide shot, point of view, and also the mood of the image. So do you have an ominous background or is it a happy image, lighthearted? You want to make sure that you're describing all that to really give the generator the best chance possible to create what it is you're looking for. And you can also do things like exclude things from images with prompts. So for example, if you don't want to have any buildings or any trees, you can say no building or no trees, and these items will be excluded from the image. So in general, good descriptive prompts equal good results. But note, 
that the first time you do it may not be exactly what you want. You do need to keep iterating on this, changing prompts as needed to get what it is you're looking for. And the example that we have is a futuristic, hopeful, busy city, purple and green color scheme. So you can see it's the color scheme that we want. It's the, it provides you know the mood of the image as well. And as you continue to do that, you'll get better at prompts and you'll figure out exactly uh, you know what it is that you're looking for. You can do, and so now you can do different things to get these images. So you can do an image to image. So you take an original um, image that you have and create another one. So image to image allows you to create a version of an image from an existing image. It uses the original image or drawing as inspiration, and it transforms one image into another. So it allows the AI to take an input image like a photograph or a drawing and then automatically generate a new image that is based on that input but has a different style or context. So we have a, you know, uh image right here of people that had completed CPM AI training, the cognitive project management for AI training, and we asked it to generate an image using the original one as a prompt but in a steampunk, hyper-realistic, dramatic lighting. So we said the style that we wanted, we wanted it to be hyper-realistic and we provided uh the lighting that we wanted as well. So from our original image, we were able to generate the our first attempt at uh, a, a second image from that. There's also other techniques that are important to understand and when to apply them. So there's this idea of in-painting. And in-painting is a generative AI technique where AI fills in missing or damaged parts of an image. It's like a digital restoration tool that uses surrounding information to intelligently guess what should be in the empty or damaged areas. So you can use this for a variety of different things. Uh, For instance, if a corner of a famous painting is torn or faded, AI in-painting can recreate the missing details to restore the artwork's original appearance. This technique is valuable for art preservation, photo editing, or enhancing images where information is missing. This can also happen if you want to say that you you know took a picture and you have people in the background, but you didn't want them in there, you can remove them. And then within painting, it will recreate the background without them in there. So in-painting replaces a portion of an image with text prompts. And again, think about how you're going to use this, why it would be important, you know, different applications that you can use. We also have this idea of outpainting. Outpainting is a generative AI technique that refers to the process of expanding or creating new content beyond the existing boundaries of an image. So it's giving AI the ability to imagine and generate additional details that weren't originally there. For example, if you have a picture of a small house in a field, outpainting can extend the field, add more houses, and even create an entirely new landscape all around it all while maintaining a consistent and realistic style. So this capability is often used for creative artwork, landscape generation, or expanding the context of images. 
without painting, you know, it extends an image beyond its original border. So if you, you know, like we said here, we have just an image of a house in a field, but if you really want it to have a more broader landscape, have multiple houses around it, then you can use outpainting as a technique to do that. Also, it, for scenery, this is really great. You know, it just helps extend an image beyond its original borders. We also can do upscaling. So upscaling is a technique used to increase the size and quality of an AI-generated image. It's like taking a small or low-resolution picture and making it bigger and clearer. AI algorithms analyze the existing details and then add new information to enhance the image's size and sharpness, resulting in a larger and more detailed version of the original. This is particularly useful when you want to print or display images at a larger size without losing quality, such as turning a small painting into a poster-sized paint. So if you have images that you'd like to use at your organization, but they're small, they're not particularly uh, useful, you want to make them larger without impacting the completeness of that image, you don't want it to be very blurry and hard to read, then you can use an upscaling technique. We also have related to this super resolution. So super resolution is a technique that uses AI to make images sharper and more detailed. It's like giving your old blurry photos a magical makeover to make them look much clearer and more defined. So AI analyzes the existing information in the image and then adds new high quality details to enhance the overall resolution, resulting in a better and more detailed picture. This is commonly used for improving the quality of images in various applications, such as enhancing the clarity or video footage or refining the details in digital art. So sometimes images and you know, especially if it's video footage, can be very grainy. So this is used to help with that. Also, sometimes people may give you a thumbnail of a headshot or a thumbnail of a certain image, and it's not quite usable. So you can use these techniques to help make things more clear. And again, these are just tools in your toolkit, but there are some really awesome things that you can do to help with image generation and improve images as well. So yeah, we hope you uh, enjoyed that, understand a little bit more about how image generation works. It shares a lot of things in common, I guess, with the ideas of, say, text generation LLMs, but of course, it's its own unique beast. So we hope you understand it well. And, you know, but you want to do more than just understand. The whole purpose of why we are doing our CPMI V7, the, just the CPMI training and certification, which is now on its latest version 7, is because a lot of people are responsible for putting AI into use. And so many people are out there watching a couple of videos, do, reading a couple of things, and now calling themselves AI experts on their LinkedIn profiles or wherever and and they're really not because they don't actually understand one how anything works. They just know how to use the very some of the various tools. And two, they don't understand where to how to apply things, when to apply things, how to limit the uh, failure. There's a lot of still failures with AI projects. You run into these roadblocks, and also. There are many different aspects of AI. I know we're all talking about generative AI, but there's still a lot of purpose for image recognition and for uh, pattern and anomaly detection, predictive analytics, and all these other applications and patterns of AI where we may not necessarily have to or can use LLMs, which of course, and generative AI, which is the which is one application of creating something, and that's not it. So, uh, you know, that's part of why we talk about this is to highlight, and especially for you who are listeners who want to make AI part of your career and enhance your career, 
don't just learn about things, get certified, put our endorsement behind what you are doing. So that way you can be a signal to your employer that you know how to do AI right. Exactly. And that's why it is so important. And we have started this generative AI series because of you, our listeners. You reached out and said you really wanted to get our perspective, our take on it. And so thank you for everybody that's reached out and we listened. And that's why we're doing this. So if you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to AI Today because you'll get notified of all of our upcoming episodes. As we said, we are in the middle of a few different series, our generative AI series, our trustworthy AI series, and we are wrapping up our glossary series. We also have interviews as well, and they get sprinkled in. So make sure to get notified so you can get uh, all of that podcast content. And also, you can always check the show notes. We have links there to various things, including CPMAI version 7, our intro to CPMAI course, if you'd like to learn more about that, and also various resources. So I encourage you to check out the show notes and click on those links as well. And as always, if you haven't done so, make sure to rate our podcasts. We'd love to uh, hear what our listeners have to say. So rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And again, reach out if there's any additional content or topics that you'd like us to discuss. Like this episode and want to hear more? With hundreds of episodes and over 3 million downloads, check out more AI Today podcasts at AIToday.live. Make sure to subscribe to AI Today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcast platform. Want to dive deeper and get resources to drive your AI efforts further? We've put together a carefully curated collection of resources and tools handcrafted for you, our listeners, to expand your knowledge, dive deeper into the world of AI, and provide you with the essential resources you need. Check it out at aitoday.live slash list. This sound recording and its contents are copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. Bye.